0: Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, happy Canada Day long weekend, everyone. So good to be here. Thank you. And... uh, Yeah, one church. We're one church in soon-to-be four locations. So excited about that, and so a great shout-out to our friends in Ajax, in Bowmanville, and in Port Perry. So good that you're with us, and for those who are going to join us later on, uh, who are going to be listening online, we're so glad that you're able to join us, even if you can't be here on on Sunday. Um, Have you ever noticed how family resemblances run really, really strong in some families? Like you, there, let's say there's like a person that you know, you know them really well, and you meet their sibling for the first time, and you're like, oh man, you sound just like your brother, or just like your sister. Uh, sometimes don't like to hear that, but it, it happens all the time. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's, uh, it's how they speak or how they laugh. It's th- their voices are almost identical. Uh, for some families, the, these family resemblances run really strong through mannerisms. It's, uh, th- you know, they all walk the same way. They all sit the same way. In my wife's family, they all run the same way, and it's not pretty at all. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just i have had all kinds of fun with her and her family. They all run like her dad, and uh, none of them are athletes. Um, so... You know, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, it's different things. In my family, um, it's unfortunately looks that are the strong dominant sort of family trait feature. And so sometimes, you know, I'll be out and I'll be walking through the mall. I don't spend much time in malls at all, but the odd time I'm in the mall and I'll be walking through the mall, just kind of like gazing. And all of a sudden out of the corner of my eye, I'll catch my dad in the mall and I'll be like, what's my dad doing? My dad lives in Burlington. What's he doing all the way over in Oshawa? And then, unfortunately, I realized it was just a mirror on the other side, you know, a store mirror, and it's like, oh man, it's me, it's not my dad. And I just look so much like him, it just makes me cry sometimes. (laughs) Most of these are kind of cute, they're kind of fun, right? They're kind of harmless, you know, we joke about them, but they're really harmless. But then there are some family traits that are passed on that are harmful, and sometimes even destructive. You know, things that cause us to struggle in the now and in the future. Things that are passed on to us. Things that are family traits. You know, maybe for some it's substance abuse. Maybe in your family there is a a historical abuse of alcohol or drugs. And maybe that's something that you've struggled with. Maybe in your family it's an unhealthy association with food of some kind. Maybe like there's too much food in your family. Or maybe there's just way too little food in your family. And so food is not a real healthy thing for you. Maybe it's also words in your family. Maybe, you know, words are, are a problem. You know, maybe it's words of foul language. Maybe it's cutting humor. Maybe it's sarcasm. Maybe it's insults. In, in my family, it was an unhealthy desire for more stuff and a general discontentment with what we had. That's one of the struggles that is a family struggle and one that I have inherited my mom was never really satisfied with her looks, or her house, or her car, or her clothing, or a thousand other things. And it's one of the reasons why I've had my personal struggles with the 10th commandment. It's one of the ones that I struggle with the most. And I recognize that I don't blame my parents on everything. We can't, we can't do that. I have to accept my own responsibility. But I realize that some of this is a family trait that I learned. So today we're coming to the last commandment, the one that is a real struggle, especially for those of us who live in the western part of the world. Uh, Coming out of a western culture, and particularly a North American culture, we struggle so much with the 10th commandment. Do you know which one it is? In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17, We read these words, the 10th commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So the command is to not covet. And then some examples are given uh, of it. So let's look first of all at the essence of this command. Like what is it at its core essence? What does the 10th commandment really forbid us from doing? What What is it all about and why was it given to the people it was given to? Well the Hebrew word that is translated into the English to covet is actually a neutral word. And and it can go uh, in the positive direction or it can go in the negative direction. So the word in the positive direction is used a number of times. So uh, the apostle Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We just finished up a whole series on the gifts. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, but you should eagerly desire, that's covet. You should eagerly desire the greater gifts. That's a positive use of coveting. You and I should want to have, we should long to have these greater gifts, whatever those are, and if you don't know, you need to go back to the series that Pastor John just taught on spiritual gifts. Also, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, he said that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst is again to covet It is this strong, eager desire for something. It is a desire uh, to take pleasure in something. And really that's what coveting, this neutral word means. It is a strong desire or you take pleasure in something. But it can go negative or it can go positive. Now in the 10th commandment we see the negative use of the word. We are not to have a strong desire or take pleasure in that which belongs to somebody else. The command speaks to what happens in our hearts and in our minds, especially when we compare ourselves to others, something that is almost a universal struggle. You see, some of the other commandments, if you think about them, they're very, very uh, outward oriented, at least the culmination of the commands. You know, adultery and murder and stealing and lying and not looking after your parents, not honoring your parents, all have very, very outward outcomes. But this command, this 10th command, This often forgotten, and some would even say this, throwaway command to not covet happens in the mind and it happens in the heart. See, most of us are guilty of looking at others, comparing ourselves to them, and seeing ourselves come out on the short end of the stick. We find ourselves jealous of what life looks like for somebody else and we just dream of how happy we would actually be if we could have their stuff. If we could only have their lifestyle, it would be so much better for us. And we convince ourselves that other people always get the breaks and we never get the breaks. And it's this kind of thinking and it's this kind of daydreaming that can lead us to break the 10th commandment. Well, what are we not to covet? What do the verses say? Well, it says we're not to covet our neighbor's house, our neighbor's wife, our neighbor's servants, ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to our neighbor. We are not to have a strong desire for the things that belong to our neighbor. This is God's built-in protection for the community. The command is designed to foster trust and unity in the faith community. Now remember, we've said all through this series, Pastor John and Pastor Joel, as they've spoken this, these commandments are given to the faith community, to the people who are already in relationship with God. yeah, I mean, our society would be better if it lived on the Ten Commandments, but that's not who the Ten Commandments were given to. The Ten Commandments were given to the faith community, to those who had experienced the exodus, those who had experienced the transforming power of God in their lives, who had been bought out of slavery and set free and brought into this new kingdom that God was giving them. These were the moral attributes of God that they were to follow so that they could be a light to all of the people around about them. Now remember. When God gives the Ten Commandments to these people, to these Hebrew, Israelite people, that they used to be slaves who owned little or nothing. And now, as he gives these commandments to them, this commandment not to covet, they are now refugees who have escaped captivity, and they have very little possessions with them. And they're wandering through the desert with no permanent place to call home and no real ability to earn income and to build a life for themselves. So why give them... Do not covet when they have so little and they live under such harsh circumstances. Well, God knows that soon he's going to give them a land that he had promised to Abraham and to their forefathers. They're going to go into this land, this land that is called a good land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey And soon they're going to build houses and soon they're going to settle down and start to build a life for themselves. And some of them are going to work incredibly hard and they're going to get prosperous and they're going to start building houses and they're going to get oxen and they're going to get donkeys and they're going to have servants who who work for them. Those are just the currencies and the commodities of the day. And God knows that as they move into this new land and they settle down and they get all of this ease in order to protect the community, God needs to command them not to covet your neighbor's stuff. because he wants unity and purity in the community of faith, and he wants them then, to be a light to all of the Gentiles around about them. I think breaking the Tenth Commandment and sinning by coveting is kind of like a gateway sin. Gateway drugs are drugs that are sort of commonly available. It's sort of like a very much an entry-level drug that then would lead you into other more destructive drugs. And I think coveting is kind of like a gateway sin. It's very, very prevalent. It's very easy for us to access coveting. And coveting can lead to so many other things. Think about King David, uh, for example, in 2 Samuel chapter 11... Here's kind of the progression as I see it in this huge story on King David. King David should be out with his army doing what armies do. (laughs) And he chooses to stay home, which is highly unusual. And he's on the rooftop of his palace and he's walking around and he's overlooking the whole city. And he sees a woman taking a bath. And instead of doing what he should have done, which is walk away, he lingers and he continues to look. And so what we see David doing here is he's breaking the 10th commandment because he is coveting another man's wife by lingering and looking. And then he stole her because he had the power, thus breaking the 8th commandment. And then he had sexual relationship with her outside of marriage, breaking the seventh commandment. And then to try and cover it up, he had her husband killed in the front line of battle, thus breaking the sixth commandment. And he tried to cover the whole thing up by lying and not fessing it up, breaking the ninth commandment. But it all began with the tenth commandment. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife in this case. Theologian teacher, J.I. Packer says, the contentment that the 10th commandment prescribes is the safeguard against temptations to break commandments five through nine. It's It's a gateway sin, friends. It's a gateway sin. I think of the story of Achan in the Old Testament in Joshua chapter seven. Moses is dead and Joshua is now leading the people And they come in and they face this unbelievably fortified city called Jericho. And it's like, it's impenetrable. No one could ever knock down Jericho. And God wonderfully gives Jericho into their hands. And one of the things that God said was, don't take anything out of it. You're going to see some really cool stuff in there. You're going to see some cool clothing and some gold and those things. Don't take it with you. And so they move on to the next town, which is just a little tiny town. It's like a nothing town from a strategic standpoint. And there the Israelites are routed at that town. And God reveals why they were routed, because someone took something. And they find out later that it was Achan that took it. Achan and his family. And when you look into the story of Achan, there's just four simple things that happen that I think are so helpful for you and I as we deal with coveting in our own lives and as we think about what the rest of the scripture has to say, which I'll be just unpacking in a minute or two. But if you look at the episode of Achan and the stuff that he took, it was just four simple steps. He said, first of all, I looked and I saw that it was very desirable. Even though God commanded not to take it. He looked and he saw it was desirable. That caused him to covet covet to have this strong desire for it, for this strong wanting, and then he took it and then he hid it. That's kind of what David did. And I think if we're gonna be brutally honest, if we struggle with coveting in our own lives, that's what we do. We look, we covet, we take, and we hide. We hide from other people, we hide from our spouses. You know, why did you spend that money? Well, I didn't spend that money. So what does the rest of the Bible have to say about coveting? Particularly, what is the New Testament teaching on coveting? Well, as I studied this week, I found that there are a number of New Testament words that are given, that are translated different ways, but they are sort of from this root of covet, and this whole idea of coveting is presented in these different verses. So let's take a look at these, and then we'll get to some practical application of how this can be really helpful for us. The first one is in James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. We see one of the results of coveting on a local church. Now remember, James is writing to Christians here. We always have to keep that in mind. He's writing to the faith community, and he says in James 4, 2, and 3, You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So James is saying here that coveting is, is so, such a problem in the faith community because it leads to all kinds of arguing and fighting and scrapping in the local church. People look at what others have and they want it for themselves. And, and some people say, and I know sometimes we try to justify it and we say, well, coveting is really sort of an appeal to level the playing field. That's really all I'm doing. You know, other people have got it and, and why wouldn't I want that same thing? But James really cuts to the heart of the issue and says coveting is not an appeal to level the playing field. James makes it clear that the motives behind coveting are always selfish. Coveting is fueled by a desire for a personal upgrade. We want what others have. Now here's the thing, life isn't like that. Yes, some people do have more than others. They have more talent, more money, more looks, more opportunities, more education, more position, and the list goes on and on. And and those things are not wrong for people to have. And even for some people to have more than other people is not necessarily wrong. Some people have more opportunities. Some people work harder. Some people, you know, spend a lot of their uh, own money to gain an education, and they work very hard at gaining that education. And other people simply don't do that. But then you can't come along as a person who didn't do that and begin to covet what the other person has. But we feel entitled in our culture if they have it then why shouldn't i have it and even if they worked hard for it and i chose to not work hard who are they to say that i can't have that too see we all want the upgrade some of us don't want to pay the price of the upgrade and think about it everybody likes to upgrade no one ever wants to downgrade the people who would try to justify coveting and say oh like i deserve it What about the two billion people in our world today who live a subsistence lifestyle, who don't have enough food, who don't have enough clothing, who don't have enough shelter? No one ever says, I'm coveting what they have. I'd like to downgrade my life so that actually their lives could be better. We don't do that. Coveting is always a step up for ourselves. And James says, we covet because we want to spend it on our own pleasure. (laughs) So people fight and they argue with each other over stuff. and the wanting of other people's stuff. And in short, all kinds of ugliness get stirred up when we covet. Another word that has at its root covet is the word greed. The Apostle Paul has some very, very interesting things to share about greed and about coveting in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. He says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature... Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Like, wow, Paul. (laughs) Woo, a little heavy there. He lumps coveting in with a list of sexual sins. And I think one of the reasons that he does this is to show us the seriousness of coveting and what coveting can lead to if we allow it to flourish unchecked in our lives. But the knockout punch for me is that Paul says coveting, greed, evil desires, is actually idolatry. The breaking of the first four commandments. See, coveting at its heart and at its root is to be dissatisfied with what God has given you and thus show lack of faith in his love and his provision. Coveting is actually an attack on the sovereignty of God. Because we can't stand over here in one hand and we can't say, God is sovereign, God is in control, God is my, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, I'm trusting everything, including my future to him, and then stand over here and say, yeah, but because he hasn't provided well enough for me, I need to go get some stuff for myself. It flies in the face of what we say we believe about the God that we worship. Well, The last word that's used to convey coveting in the New Testament it is found in 1 Corinthians 13 4, the famous love chapter. The Apostle Paul says, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. And the word is envy. Envy is defined as a feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions or someone else's qualities. Envy. Paul is saying, is the antithesis of love. Love does not envy. Love does not covet. Love is the act of our will to choose to love each other, and it's negated when we want to take from each other what is not rightfully ours through coveting, through looking at them, through judging them, judging their circumstances, and then wanting what they have because we feel entitled to have it. So interesting, what's the word that Jesus said everyone would know that we're his followers by? Love. By this will all people know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Love, agape, a choice, a no-strings-attached, non-performance-based love that's an act of the will not based on warm, fuzzy feelings. And the antithesis of that kind of love, the antithesis of that, Paul is saying here, is envy, among other things. So what then is coveting? What's a good definition for us as we move into application? What is coveting? Well, one person said this. Coveting is desiring something so much that you lose your contentment in God. Desiring something so much that you lose your contentment in God. Another person said, An inordinate desire to possess what belongs to another, usually tangible things. So how do we overcome the tendency to covet? What is God's antidote for coveting? Friends, the answer is learning the secret of contentment. In our culture, we are bombarded with messaging that has one primary goal. One primary goal, from social media, to TV, to radio, to magazines, to podcasts, to movies, to comics. This entire multi-billion dollar industry has one clear objective. And they are focused on that objective with laser-guided precision. To stir up dissatisfaction and discontentment inside of us so that we long for more, bigger, faster, smaller, Cleaner, prettier, lighter, sexier, better stuff. Stuff's not wrong. Please hear me really loudly, really clearly. Stuff is not wrong. But the unhealthy, all-consuming pursuit of stuff can be so dangerous in the Christian's life because thou shalt not covet was given to the Christian community, not to the rest of society. In Mark chapter four, Jesus tells this really amazing parable. It's a parable of the soils. He talks about a farmer, and the farmer is God in this, who goes out and throws this seed out, and the seed is the word of God that's being thrown. It's being preached, it's being taught, it's being discussed, it's being, uh, it's being read, it's being listened to. So the word of God is just being thrown out all over. And the four types of soil are the four conditions of the human heart. And so Jesus walks through this great parable, and he talks about this. He talks about how some seed falls on a path, just a well-worn path, and the seed can't go anywhere, so the birds of the air just come and pick it up. And then he says some seed falls on on rocky ground where there really isn't much uh, soil there at all, and then the sun comes out, and the sun just scorches it, and so the seed dies and is unfruitful. And then he says, some seed falls among the weeds, and uh, the seed initially germinates and, and grows and comes up, but the weeds are stronger, and they just they choke it out, and so the, the plants die. And then finally, some seed falls on good ground, and the f- seed that falls on good ground, Jesus says, produces a bumper, miraculous, over-the-top kind of harvest. But it's this third seed, the seed that falls on among the weeds that is particularly interesting as I looked at it this week. Mark 4, 18 and 19, talking about the third seed now. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, they hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Coveting. Friends, if we're not careful, coveting, the desire for other things can hinder the work of God in our lives as we seek to follow Jesus and become fully devoted followers of His. You see, coveting competes with the reign and the rule of God in our lives. And it can be so serious, and this is so sobering, yeah, we can continue to come to church and we can celebrate big like this and then we can go into our connect groups and we can connect small and we're discussing and we're hearing all this stuff and then we can actually do our devotions. We can try and be regular in our Bible reading and prayer time as we walk with Jesus and we can serve in ministry areas to help out the whole church and you know, carry the message and, and the, the mandate that God has given us to all kinds of people and we can engage in mission whether that's through giving or through going and all these kinds of things but if we are burdened down by coveting it will choke out the very Word of God in our lives, and we will not grow. We will not mature. We will not produce the bumper harvest that God had intended for us. This is why coveting is so serious, my friends. So, I want to suggest to you that contentment is God's antidote for coveting. First Timothy 6.6 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. There's something so simple about these words that a seasoned pastor offered in love to his younger son in the faith. So how does the secret of contentment help us become better followers of Jesus and keep us from breaking the 10th commandment? Well, first, contentment helps us overcome materialism. Hebrews 13, 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Money, stuff, they're not bad. They're neutral. They're absolutely neutral. But the love of money, the love of stuff, the desire for more money, the desire for more stuff, the coveting of money and the coveting of stuff, those are a problem. And notice how the writer of Hebrews tells us that our contentment is found in something, in someone. We can be content because God knows what we need and he has promised to provide for us. It's that simple. It's just not easy. God doesn't meet all of our wants, but he has promised to meet all of our needs. If God has given us everything that we need, then we can have contentment because surely he knows best what our real needs are. We're having some great fun with our grandkids right now. They're just at this really cool age. Oliver says all the time, I need that, Papa. I need ice cream, Papa. I need chocolate, Papa. I need the car that Paxton is playing with right now, Papa. See, what he hasn't learned yet, he knows the word need, but he just hasn't learned the word want yet. He wants it, he just doesn't need it. But he's only two and a half. What's our excuse? Because we can convince ourselves, oh, I need it. I need a bigger house. I need a better car. I need that vacation. And God says, have you learned there's this other word called want? And it's not the same as need? And if we can get a handle on coveting, it's really going to help us fight consumerism and materialism in our lives because we need to look to God and find out what do we really need God and you have promised to provide all of our needs just not take care of all of our wants second contentment keeps our focus sharp Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well This teaching from Jesus comes on the heels of him talking about God's promises and God's provisions and our human inclination towards worry. If we can learn to be content with what God has given us and we can learn to rest in his provision, then we can keep our focus on seeking our relationship with him and furthering his kingdom. See, because we get divided too often... We're so busy chasing after the next thing. We're so busy chasing after our wants or our needs that it's hard for us to seek first of primary importance the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And God will look after the other stuff in our lives if we're going to go on needs base. The Apostle Paul, I love how he shared his own journey in Philippians chapter 4, 11-13. He said, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Here it is. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every, if you're an underliner, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, here it comes, here's the secret, I can do all this through him who gives me the strength. I love that Paul calls it the secret of contentment. It's not something that comes naturally to us as human beings. We are prone to coveting and worry about things and about stuff. Paul's been in both camps. He's had lots of stuff and he's gone without, but in both sets of circumstances, the secret of contentment comes from having the power of the living Jesus at work in him and through him. It's his strength, Jesus' strength in us that helps us to overcome coveting and be content with what we have. I, I wonder if this, for us, it is actually part of what it may mean to take up our cross and follow him. So un-North American, so anti-Western. What am I willing to lay down? Even even if it's something good, even if it's not wrong or not bad, what am I willing to lay down so that I can take up my cross and follow him? What is it that God would invite me to trust him in where I have been seeking with a strong desire for something that God would say, Dave, give that up so you can get to know me better and have a greater kingdom impact. See, sacrifice is not talked about a lot in Western culture because it ruffles us the wrong way so much of the time. But what if Jesus is asking us to take up our cross in this area? Well then third, contentment is a strategy in moving towards generosity. I spoke on generosity the first two Sundays of 2019. You can go back and listen to those. I'm not gonna repeat all of that. But in Matthew chapter 6, 19 and 20, Jesus said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. See, here's the crazy thing about coveting. Coveting will always let you down when it really matters. (laughs) The accumulation of stuff here on earth doesn't help us in eternity. Investment in people through generosity is what will last in heaven. How do we get, how do we not get consumed with consumption? Well, I think number one, we need to continue to learn the secret of contentment Number two, we need to live sacrificially. What is it, you know, God, that you want me to do? What should I give up that I have a strong desire for? Whether it's right, it's not even necessarily wrong, but what should I give up? And then ask Jesus daily for the power to live out these commitments. Like pray a bold prayer, a scary prayer. Think about it first. Don't pray stupid prayers. Think about it first. But Jesus, come get me. Come get me. See, these Ten Commandments were given to the believing community so that they would know who God is and what he's like. They are a call to personal holiness for those who are in a relationship with God. The law reveals God's moral character and was designed to protect those in covenant relationship with him and with each other. That's why Jesus, when he was asked, summed up all of the law in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 39. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We live like this so that we can actually be a light to those around about us. That was God's intention all along. That his covenant community, his chosen people, would know who he is and what he is like... And that they would love him. The first four commandments, essentially to love God and to bask in his glory and in his presence. And then the second six commandments, to live in harmony in community with one another. And the last of those is this gateway sin that we must avoid at all costs because it will ripple right back down through the list of the Ten Commandments and violate each one of them. We are not to covet. We are not to have an unhealthy desire for other people's stuff and other people's relationships. So let me pray for us as we sum up this last commandment, and then I'm going to just share a couple of words by way of close on the whole series. So let's pray together. So Lord, thank you um, for including this 10th commandment, this one that so many of us struggle with, actually so often Lord would you help us to protect our own minds to set up our own gates so that the bombardment to generate discontentment in our lives like would actually be held off at the gate of our of our hearts and our minds Lord, uh, as we do community with each other, we're so grateful that some have many things and are able to share and be generous. And others are in want and are in need, and we as a whole community can help one another. But Lord, in the midst of this, would you keep us from coveting as a community of faith. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.